Kairos. This is your moment. Liberty is not man's idea, it's God's idea. We must participate in the public square. This is a moment in time that will define history as we know it, the furtherance of America as we know it. That's a powerful gift, freedom. And we're not gonna bow to tyranny. This isn't me standing, it's us. This is the moment for the body of Christ. We pray that there would be an awakening and a revival in the nation. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Friday, everybody. Uh, Friday. It's actually Federer Friday, too, so Bill's going to be with us shortly. But before we have Bill come out and share, and there's a number of things we want to cover today, lots to cover. We've got a number of clips, especially with HR5 and all the stuff we're facing as a country. But I, I do want to make a shout out to Oaks Christian. Uh, a lot of good faculty over there. They've always been kind. I know this whole thing with Dr. Brian Loritz is a thorn in their side as it is in our side, and I know they're trying to navigate these waters, especially with the parents, of great concern. Uh, I do want to make some corrections that I owe Oaks Christian. First of all, uh, the clips that I've been showing, I was mistakenly uh, thinking that they were from Oaks Christian. They weren't. They were from, um, let's see, Bridge, Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon, five months ago. Uh, for a race and justice event. Um, and so uh, he did say these things, but he didn't say Minoke's Christian. And just to refresh your memory, oh, before we get to the clip of, of what he did say and, and what we've been addressing on the program, these are his words. I, that it was a clip right there. We, and we did it in context, too. If you go into the depth of the message, what he's saying is in context with what you're hearing. Um, but I will say... Um, that I reached out to Oaks Christian and I shared with the faculty that if they want to come in and they, they want to present their side of it, I'm more than happy. I'll introduce them. I'll step out of the way, kind of like we did with Pastor James Cadice the other night where he just he had full reign. I'll do that with the Oaks Christian administration. They can come out and express uh, why they've chosen uh, Dr. Brian and uh, you know talk about his doctorate and all those other things. And they're welcome to do all of that because I know there's all kinds of stuff swirling around out there, and they have that opportunity. We want to be completely fair. But this is troublesome, um, and here's the clip we used. And again, it's five months ago, so it was more recent than any, any um, event that they've done at Oaks Christian. This was five months ago, Portland, Oregon. These are his words. This is Dr. Brian Lortz. This is what we showed, and you can take a look at it. I gave you the, the uh, church. Uh, Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon. You can pull it up, see it. It was a racial justice uh, event. But here's the clip. Take a look at it. If you are a Christian, how are we to think about and navigate critical race theory? Reading the Bible, there's no doubt there are plenty of seasons in the life of Israel and followers of Jesus where there were clear cases of oppressed and oppressor. Israel in bondage to Egypt. Israel in the season of the Babylonian captivity people of God and Assyria, Christianity suffering oppression under Rome. What's more, we see instances of structural or systemic injustice, reparations and affirmative action. Yes, all in the Bible. It's in there, folks. Hold on, I'll show you. So is God on the side of critical race theory, but on the other hand, we don't see God demonizing oppressors. 
calling his people to love even their oppressors. Good ending on that clip, but as he goes on to give his evidence, as you watch in the Bridgetown uh, clip in Portland, Oregon, uh, you'll, you'll see that his evidence doesn't hold water. It's tragic, quite frankly. So put it in context further if you'd like. Go and look at the clip yourself. Uh, look at the entirety of it. And so I, I would welcome the Oaks Christian Administration. This entire studio is yours. I'll introduce you. Uh, I, I won't make any commentary. Uh, there will be no rebuttal. You just come and share, and it's all yours. And that's, that's only fair to uh, a, a school that's been quite an instrument of strength in our community. But this one right here, and I had expressed this to him when I met with a number of their administrators, that CRT, critical race theory, is, to me, demonic. And that the idea of bringing it into uh, a school in our community and bringing it in to educate the teachers, I, I just, I, I don't know where that came from. Please, it's all yours. Come and share. This entire studio is yours. I leave that to you. But I want to welcome our guest tonight, uh, Bill Federer, prolific author, amazing historian, great friend of the ministry, uh, a man that has been a great blessing to us. And this is a Federer Friday. I, I can't think of a better person each week to make disciples across the country than Bill Federer. He is the most underutilized asset in American Christendom, and we have the privilege of having him every Friday. Well, most every Friday. But I want to welcome my dear friend, Bill Federer. Bill, welcome, brother. Good to have you with us. Hey, Rob, great to be with you. So you saw that clip. What's your take on it? I mean, you, you, you have insights on CRT, and you heard what he said. And, of course, like with everyone else, and, and I know James Cadiz and a number of others, all of us have gone. We've looked at the entirety of the clip uh, of the program itself. What's your take on just at least what you saw? Yeah, it's pure socialism. It's Marxism. Uh, an interesting person that I write about in my book on socialism, but anyone can look him up online. His name, his name was Manning Johnson, M-A-N-N-I-N-G, Manning Johnson. He was a black man, and he became a communist in the 1930s. And then after 10 years, he even ran for Congress in New York as a communist. Uh, and then he realized that the communists did not want to help his people. They just wanted to stir up division and use them to uh, the, the socialist Marxist tactic is you sow division and cause confusion. And then people panic and will surrender their freedoms to some socialist dictator who promises to restore order. Anyway, so he gets out. He even testifies before the U.S. Congress on their tactics. And he writes a book, Color Communism, Common Sense. Archibald Roosevelt, the son of Teddy Roosevelt, writes the foreword to it. It's available online. And uh, anyway, in his book, Manning Johnson talks about how Stalin himself came up with the idea of using race to, to destroy America. And uh, uh, here's a quote from his book. He says, well, white leftists descended on Negro communities like locusts, posing as friends come to help and liberate their black brothers. Everything was interracial, interracialism, artificially created, cleverly devised as a camouflage of the red plot to use the Negro. Now, he wasn't the only one that talked about wanting to use the black band to sow division. Malcolm X talked about this in 1963. Malcolm X said this, the liberal is more deceitful, more hypocritical than the conservative. The white liberal is the one who has perfected the art of posing as the Negro's friend 
and benefactor. And by winning the friendship and support of the Negro, the white liberal is able to use the Negro as a pawn or a weapon in this political football game that is constantly raging between the white liberals and the white conservatives. And the white liberals control this ball through tricks and or tokenisms, false promises of integration and civil rights. The white liberal has complete cooperation of the Negro civil rights leaders who sell our people out for a few crumbs of token recognition, token gains, token progress. So here we have Malcolm X and Manning Johnson talking about socialists wanting to use the blacks to uh, bring division so they can take over America. Now, a little background. World War II ends and Germany, France, England give independence to their former colonies. And the looks hopeful, except that the Soviet Union decides it wants to take over these countries. So it sends in KGB agents into these countries and breaks them into groups of yeah. haves and have-nots, victims and oppressors. And they would break them into groups economically, uh, racially, ethnically, Bosnians, Croats, Serbs, uh, religiously, Sunni, uh, Shia, Orthodox. It did not matter what it was. And they would orchestrate protests that they would escalate into riots and then they would escalate into violence. And then they would co-opt the media through bribes and threats to blame the leader of the country for all of the problems. And then when the country got panicky and confused enough and fearful enough, uh, they would do a coup or rigged election and replace the leader with a Soviet puppet. 45 countries fell to communism this way. Yeah. What we're seeing is this tactic being used on America. And uh, David Horowitz, a uh, former communist that became a writer, he talked about women's rights, black rights. Those are all minor issues. The real issue is power. And so he talks about those that think that it has anything to do with racial rights or women's rights. He goes, basically, they're useful idiots. They were just being used to sow division. Division is what Satan did in heaven right? How he got a third of the angels to rebel against God. And so when, once he comes down on earth, what does he do? So division. In yeah. the Bible, you, you have Abimelech. Uh, he's a son, illegitimate son of Gideon. And Israel's at peace. They just defeated the Midianites. And Abimelech goes into the city of Shechem and he does identity politics, race politics, the exact same thing, this critical race theory. And he says, look, uh, you were, were you're my flesh and my, my skin and and, uh, and we're not treated good by uh, uh, Gideon's other sons and let's get together and riot. And, but he ended up, after he became a king, uh, Abimelech took all the people of Shechem, put him in the temple of Baal-Berith and burnt him to death. So we just yep. used him. So this is a tactic. You use people, you stir them up and, and it's totally anti-Christian. Jesus himself had the most abuse. And what did he do? forgive. And if he's our Lord and our Savior and our example, we have to forgive. And I know I'm on sort of a little rant here, but... Um, no, no, Bill, I would, I, the only thing I would ask you to maybe uh, talk, talk on or touch on, and you didn't have the privilege of seeing the entire video. However, he talks about uh, reparations, and I, I uh, James Cadiz talked on it, this idea of reparations with the Jews leaving Egypt and being given uh, possessions by the Egyptians as though somehow that's reparations. 
he touched on it. But do you have anything that you want to add in relation to that fallacy? Uh, the parable of talents. That Jesus says one person was given one talent, another two, another five. When they came back, the uh, Lord asked what they did with them, and they were faithful, and they multiplied it. Uh, this is the, if you've seen the little clip where they introduce this race theory, they have a starting line for all the students. Right. And, and then they, they say, take a step back and. Yeah, yeah. If you're, uh, have your two parents together, take a step forward. And if you're. Bill, if Bill, you're Bill, Joe, just, Bill, Bill, just a minute. If the, if the production team, if you guys can find the clip he's speaking of, it would be great. It's where they're all lined up and they all have to take a step back. Uh, that would be wonderful if we can find that. So we'll see if we can come up with it, Bill, while you're you're sharing it. Sorry. Yeah, and so and so they say, well, if you're uh, you know white, then you get a, a little bit more of a head start, and if you went to you know college, you get more of a head start, and all this kind of stuff. And then it has the, the people that are sitting back there feeling dejected. It is unscriptural because they leave out the finish line. What's the finish line? Well, if your finish line is here on earth to see how much junk you can accumulate, well, yeah, then some people have an advantage. But if your finish line is standing before God and him saying, this is what I gave you, what did you do with it? Did you multiply it? Did you, get, did you work hard with what I gave you? Or did you bury it? That's the finish line. And that's what they leave out of that cute little skit that they do. The finish line is standing before God and taking, God decides what color you are. God decides what sex you are. God decides all those things. And it's your job to take what he's given you and do the best you can to multiply it for his kingdom. That's the finish line. The finish line isn't, okay, I got to live in a nice house for a few years before I died. Uh, that's ridiculous. But, but again, the big picture is this is a socialist tactic to sow division. And if we were in uh, Bosnia or Serbia or any of those Eastern European countries, they would have been sowing division on um, a certain religious group that's treated bad or a certain ethnic group that's treated bad. The goal is to sow division and create chaos so that there's an excuse for the government to usurp any, everybody's rights and freedoms and institute socialism. Uh, we, we were going to show some clips of H.R. 5, but I don't want to do that right now. There, there's a, a clip on tolerance uh, that's been done by Prager University. And this clip is one that I want you to take a look at because everything you just described, Bill, everything you just described, David Rubin covers this. Now, this is a gay male, conservative, who's sharing uh, on a Prager clip about this idea of tolerance and how the left doesn't embrace tolerance. It's a total gimmick. Do we have that clip? Let's take a look at it. Watch the this, The Declaration Bill. of Independence guarantees us life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But there's an implicit contract there. To have your life, your liberty, and your pursuit of happiness you have to be tolerant of somebody else's life, their liberty, and their pursuit of happiness. If you listen to the mainstream media, only one side is living up to this deal, the left. The right, according to the media, is intolerant of everyone, except those darned white heterosexual Christian males. There's only one problem, it's just not true. 
Incredibly, the left isn't even tolerant of the very people they say they're tolerant of. If you're gay or black or an immigrant and you're not in lockstep with current leftist orthodoxy, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Here's the thing, those who only tolerate people they agree with or like aren't actually tolerant. I, talking, when I was speaking in front of the Log Cabin Republicans, which is uh, the, the, the gay community of, of the Republican Party asking for their endorsement back when I was running for the, the state assembly, I asked them a question. I said, was it harder for you to come out gay or was it harder for you to come out conservative? And they all said, hands down, it was harder to come out conservative in, in, the, in the gay community. And, and the intolerance is based on ideology. And here in America, we are the most tolerant nation. In the 1040 window, longitude and latitude, where 90% of the Muslim world exists, the homosexual community is being thrown off buildings. And, and here we're watching identity politics and this declaration of tolerance, but they're really intolerant. They're, they're intolerant of skin color. They're intolerant of sexual preference if, if their ideologies don't fall in line with their leftist ideology. They're completely intolerant. Agree or disagree? What are your thoughts? Right, yeah. What they're doing is projection. They're pre Sigmund Freud coined the term, and that's where rude people deny in themselves a negative quality and attribute that quality to others. So what they're doing is they're projecting their intolerance on you. They're saying you're hateful, you're a bigot, you're a homophobe, you're, uh, but actually they are. And so they're projecting that on you. Uh, little kids do this. I didn't start the fight. You did it. Um, wife beaters will blame their wives. It's your fault I beat you up because you provoked me. Sharia men will rape a woman and say, it's your fault that I raped you because you tempted me. And it's gotten into politics. Um, there's a David Axelrod, who was President Obama's campaign manager, and he said on NPR radio, he said, in Chicago politics, we have a tradition where you throw a brick through your own campaign office window and then call a press conference to accuse your opponent. Right. So that's the uh, idea is and it's actually gotten into um, uh, purges. And so yeah. Stalin uh, was able to assassinate his buddy, Sergei Kirov, and blame it on anti-Stalinists and use it as an excuse to, to murder over a million anti-Stalinists. But they're projecting their hate on the others, uh, on the on the Christians. And, and, and it's a, a tactic called seizing the moral high ground where they want to appear more, more uh, caring than you do, but they're more not. moral, moral pietism. Bill, we found the clip that you were referring to. Let's show it and then again, refresh everybody after we show the clip of why this doesn't hold water biblically. Go ahead. Here's Take two steps forward. If you grew up with a father figure in the home, Take two steps forward if you had access to a private education. Take two steps forward if you had access to a free tutor growing up. Take two steps forward if you've never had to worry about your cell phone being shut off. Take two steps forward if you've never had to help mom or dad with the bills. I, I was also thinking as I was watching that, that they said, if you came from a home with a father, and G.K. Chesterton pointed out, he said, 
the government will, will help single moms, the government will help single parents, the government will help grandparents, the government will help children, but they won't help the family as a whole. And, and yet we know that the, the number one issue is an absence of fathers in the home. That's what they began with, two steps forward based on that. And yet the government, all of its programs do not maintain the nuclear family. And then in addition, as you, you pointed out, they may be excelling and stepping forward in that line towards an end goal. But as you, as you said, is the end goal accumulating baubles and trinkets and financial success in the world or multiplying what God gave you? Because you look at Frederick Douglass. This man started as a, as a slave and, and he became an ambassador for the United States of America. You, you look at you know, Booker T. Washington. I mean, we can go down the list and, and we can see the strides and the accomplishments of those who never left the finish line in, in regards to the world's standards of accumulating financial gain, but left an enormous impact for generations following Rosa Parks. I mean, Reverend King, on and on and on. Comments on that, Bill? Yeah. It, uh, again, they didn't talk about the finish line. Uh, and the finish line is standing before God and answering of what you did with the talents that he gave you. And of course, uh, the ultimate is, uh, did you believe in his son? Um, that it's not a based on works. Uh, but the other, you, it's interesting you brought up the father issue because it was Lyndon Johnson that created the Great Society Welfare State. Uh, and it was uh, the big switch is what they called it because he switched from intimidation to entitlement. So the, the Democrats started the KKK, uh, the Jim Crow laws, the black codes, Republican Lincoln, free the slaves, Emancipation Proclamation, uh, the uh, Tuskegee Institute did a survey of documented lynchings. Uh, there were more, but the ones they could document, there's around 5,000 of them. And 1,000 of those are white Republicans that were down in the South registering the free blacks to vote. Lo and behold, it's not a black-white issue after all. It's a Democrat-Republican issue, right? Uh, it's, not, it's not a hardware problem. It's a software problem. It's not what color your computer is. It's what software programs are you running on your computer. It's not what color your cell phone is. It's what apps do you have on your cell phone. So it, it doesn't matter what color your skin is. Uh, it matters are you, are you running on God's software where you want to love each other, uh, love your enemy and do good to those that hate you? Or are you running on a selfish, worldly software program? And, um, and, and once you get into the racial thing uh, here, what do you do with, with President Obama? His mother was white. He grew up in Hawaii, one of the nicest places. He went to the nicest high school in Hawaii. He was totally privileged. What, where does he fit in all this, right? He was, he, he'd be at the very far of the line. And uh, so anything that you, when you hear somebody say haves and have nots, that's socialism. When you hear somebody say victims and oppressors, that's socialism, that's Marxism. It's sowing division. And they've done it all around the world. They did it in the, in the Congo to the Hutus and the Tutsis. I mean, yep. they were both black and they just, they bro broke them into these made up, racial differences just for the sole purpose of sowing division and then they could communists could come in and take advantage of them uh, they you know created, one of the, they stirred up so much hate and so much animosity wasn't it a, a million died in less than a year by machete yeah 
And, and hate is one of the tactics of the left. Uh, Chai Guevara said, uh, soldiers without hate cannot win. And, and when they have hate, they break the bounds of normal soldiers and so forth. But I want to mention something about infiltrating churches with another gospel. The Apostle Paul Thank said you. there's another gospel. And um, so uh, Manning Johnson talks about how that when the communists first began to come into America after World War II, they went into the minority communities to sow division, and they tried to get them to step on the Bible and spit on it like they did in the Soviet Union, get rid of Christianity. And, but they couldn't. They said that, that the, the minorities were too attached to the Bible. And so what did they do? They came up with social justice, the critical race theory, all these different things. And he talked about how they changed the gospel. And listen to this. He goes, uh, again, this is Manning Johnson. He said, uh, large number of Negro ministers are all in for the communists. They are in, co they in common believe that they are bearing, uh, bearing the race, beating the racial drums uh, is a shortcut to prominence money and the realization of personal ambition and so forth. He says, white ministers acting as missionaries use the race angle as bait aided in the cultivation of Negro ministers for the work in the red solar system. The new line went like this, Jesus, the carpenter was a worker like the communists. He was against the money changers, the capitalists, the exploiters of the day. This is why he drove them from the temple. The communists are the modern day fighters against the capitalists, the money changers. If Jesus were living today, he would be persecuted like the communists. And so here, they, they, it's another gospel. Instead of God is a just God, he has to judge all of our sins, but he's a loving God and that he provided his own son as the lamb to take the judgment for all of our sins. Thank you, Jesus, right? That's the gospel. They change it and they just make Jesus into a Palestinian activist. He, yeah. he could have been any activist against any you know, oppressive government. No, Jesus didn't do that. And so they're, they're preaching another gospel. They, they can sound really good. That doctor that you showed at the front he was quoting the Bible. I wonder if he had his doctorate in the Bible. Probably not. Uh, the, the doctorate is uh, under question. Uh, I, I've heard all kinds of comments. I'm, I'm trying to confirm where his doctorate's from. Uh, some say it's an honorary doctorate, which would be shocking because you, you don't lead with doctor if it's honorary unless you put that at the back. But I, I would say that with reparations, the Bible says when Jesus casts our sin as far as east is from the west to be remembered no more, uh, we do see in the Old Testament that the sins of the fathers are visited on the children and children's children. But in Christ, we're new creatures and forgetting what is behind, striving for what is ahead, taking hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of us. So it strikes me that we're, we're to pay reparations. My, my, uh, my ancestors... Many of them were Irish slaves. And then we, we come over, uh, some of us were, part of our family were Scottish Covenanters. We fought in the Revolutionary War. Always have been on the North abolitionists. And in addition, some of them died of the 2% that died of our nation's entire population. 2% died on a field of battle in the Civil War, 650,000 soldiers. Do those families get reparations? And then... Are, are you paying reparations simply because of the immutable trait of the color of your skin? And how many slaves were there? Do you track back if you're an immigrant from 
uh, an African nation are you given reparation? Where do you even go with this? It just strikes me as complete chaos, similar to what we're watching as they're, they're now going beyond two genders, male and female, which is science, and they're going into multiple genders, over a hundred now at last count, and, and, and to track this, and we're watching an assist, uh, someone who wants to be assist, assistant secretary of health, I think it is, I'll, I'll find out the term later, uh, Dr. Levin, who is a biological male, uh, but, but declares himself a, a, a female. Biologically, this person is a male. And now they're going to be in a very high position, and they're being addressed by Senator Rand Paul on, on genital mutilation and hormone-blocking drugs given to children under age, under the age of 18, and would they do that and would they promote that? I don't know if you've seen this clip. Rand Paul is remarkable in pushing this, and this candidate refuses to answer the question, which is very telling. Let's show the clip, and I want you to see this, Bill, and tell me your thoughts on it when, we're, when we finish with it. Here's the clip. What happened to them? And, you know, if you've ever been around children, 14-year-olds can't make this decision. In the gender dysphoria clinic in England, 10% of the kids are between the ages of 3 and 10. We should be outraged that someone's talking to a 3-year-old about changing their sex. So let's be a little more specific since you evaded the question. Do you support the government intervening to override the parent's consent to give a child puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and or amputation surgery of breasts and genitalia? You have said that you're willing to accelerate the protocols for street kids. I'm alarmed that poor kids with no parents who are homeless and distraught, you would just go through this and allow that to happen to a minor. I would hope that you would have compassion for Kira Bell, who's a 23-year-old girl who was confused with her identity. At 14, she read on the internet about something about transsexuals. She thought, well, maybe that's what I am. She ended up getting these puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones. She had her breasts amputated. But here's what ultimately she says now. And this is a very insightful from decision from someone who made a mistake but was led to believe this was a good thing by the medical community. I made a brash decision as a teenager, as a lot of teenagers do, trying to find confidence and happiness, except now the rest of my life will be negatively affected, she said, adding that the medicalized gender transitioning was a very temporary, superficial fix for a very complex identity issue. What I'm alarmed at is that you're not willing to say absolutely minors shouldn't be making decisions to amputate their breast or to amputate their genitalia. For most of our history, we believe that minors don't have full rights and the parents need to be involved. American culture is now normalizing the idea that minors can be given hormones to prevent their biological development of their secondary sexual characteristics. Dr. Levine, you have supported both allowing minors to be given hormone blockers to prevent them from going through puberty, as well as surgical destruction of a minor's genitalia. Like surgical mutilation, hormonal interruption of puberty can permanently alter and prevent secondary sexual characteristics. The American College of Pediatricians reports that 80 to 95% of prepubertal children with gender dysphoria will experience resolution by late adolescence if not exposed to medical intervention and social affirmation. 
Dr. Levine, do you believe that minors are capable of making such a life-changing decision as changing one's sex? Well, Senator, thank you for your interest in this question. Um, transgender medicine is a very complex and nuanced field um, with robust research and uh, standards of care that have been developed. And if I am fortunate enough to be confirmed as the Assistant Secretary of Health, I will look forward to working with you and your office and coming to your office and discussing the particulars of the standards of care for transgender yeah, medicine. The specific question was about minors. He goes on to say, put it in the record that you refuse to answer the question. Twice Dr. Levin or Dr. Levine was asked this and refused to answer it and did the mumbo jumbo you just saw. And then before you comment on that, Bill, because you had some great insights earlier when we were talking, and I want you to elaborate on those. This is Congressman Kennedy. Allowing biological males to compete in an all-female sport deprives women of the opportunity to participate fully and fairly in sports and is fundamentally unfair to female athletes. There you go. What do you think? Wow. Well, the disregard for the life of the child in the womb, that disregard for the child is now being manifest outside the womb. And exactly. here, they don't care about the children. They are pushing their agenda. Uh, any boy knows that uh, once you hit puberty, uh, your uh, identity uh, changes quite considerably as to your, um, uh, you, your sexual attitudes. Uh, but before then, it, it's not that big of a thing. And, and so they uh, are very... Disruptive. When you, you go back in time, they sold it. It was a bait and switch. The first thing was it was gay marriage. That was the issue. And they sold it to the public saying uh, what they do in their bedroom should be their own business. And if you're, you know, a tolerant person, you should tolerate that. Well, as soon as it was voted, they made a beeline from the bedroom to the classroom and began indoctrinating little children with this. If, if they would have been honest and said, this is what we're gonna do, it would never have passed. But they said, oh, this is just giving us the freedom to do what we want in our bedroom. It was a bait and switch. They lied to us. And now they're not just content with coming out of the closet, they wanna shove you into it. And they want your kids, and they want you to be happy in giving them your kids. And they want to call you hateful if you don't give them your kids. And their goal is to basically exploit the children in the same spirit that they exploit the unborn. And you're also, uh, you're also though, I, I do want to add, you're also watching in the gay community where many of those in, in the homosexual community have been relegated to the secular progressive left because of the litmus test that if you're gay, you're not permitted to be a conservative. But then you see folks like, um, well, we, we've got uh, Dave Rubin who was, who was just on, and, um, and as you, you see Rick Grinnell, and these are two fascinatingly um, uh, conservative spokespersons. Rick Grinnell is remarkable. And they're, they're pointing out that they're, they're contending between male and female. They have a same-sex attraction. They disagree with the Christian position. 
But they're looking at male and female and they're saying that the idea of transgender is a dysphoria from, from their mindset. And <clears throat> um, uh, the, the tennis player, um, Marta, Marta Volova, um, I can't remember her name. Anyways, she's struggling with it too because you're watching women's records fall as these biological males now come in to compete in female sports and break all these records. And, and even in the, homosexual, in, in, in the homosexual community, they're struggling over this, saying this is not what we intended. And so you're watching, even in the, in the homosexual community, a move towards conservative principles, even though it's, it's harder for them to come out conservative than it was to come out gay, they're still standing upon these principles, getting all kinds of flack from the left, and they're not welcomed by the right nor by the left. They're, they're kind of like Palestinian Christians. They're, they're hated wherever they go, which is tragic. And, and I, I look at them as heroes in, in one sense, but <clears throat> the dysfunction that we're, we're perpetrating on our children is unbelievable. Oh, it is. And um, you, you bring up some very good points. And I recently heard some feminists who have criticized President Obama's, President Biden's um, executive orders, um, which would uh, end all of their efforts of feminism. How can you stand up for the rights of women when a guy can be a woman? It's like, uh, you know, what about the gender gap? They talk about in pay scales and the women don't get paid as much as men. Well, now there is no gender gap because there is no woman's gender anymore. A guy can be a woman. Uh, it, it, in, in the big, big picture, it's lawlessness. And this is a strategy. Again, I go back to socialism. Did you know the first organization in America that did advocate for homosexuality is the Mattachian Society? It was started by communists. Uh, you go back and look, America wins World War I and World War II. I mean, here's a two-front war, a world war on two fronts, and we win. In other words, America was unbeatable on the battlefield. And so the Soviet tactic was, let's rot America from the inside. Let's take all their institutions and bankrupt them. The family, the education, the finances, the economic, every single thing. Why? Because, and there's a great quote from Khrushchev. So during uh, Eisenhower's term as president, his secretary of agriculture named uh, Brenton or something, uh, he met Khrushchev, uh, who came to America to uh, look at our agriculture. Um, and he asked him, he's uh, in a discussion, and he said, Khrushchev said that your children will grow up as communists. And he goes, no, they won't. He goes, no, you Americans are so gullible. We'll sell you socialism a little bit at a time. We'll, we'll give you the rope that you'll hang yourself on uh, and you'll adopt socialism and you won't even know it. You, you're familiar with that quote. But it's this idea that um, they've been uh, taking advantage of sowing confusion in the sexual arena, just like sowing confusion in the other arenas, the end result is it's, it's going to be more lawlessness. You push these kids out on the street. They don't know what's right. They don't know what's wrong. They're told they can kill the baby in the womb. They don't know if they're a boy or a girl. Anything can be justified. Depends on their feeling for that day. It will be more lawlessness. And what happens when there's lawlessness? People want the government to intervene to restore order, and they're willing to trade freedom for security. And that's how you institute. 45 countries fell to communist governments that way. 
they go in and they, they bring about lawlessness and division. So, but yeah, uh, God, Jesus himself, their, their tactic is to, to guilt trip Christians into being more Christian than Christ. In other words, if you're really Christian, you'll tolerate this stuff being taught to the children. Question, would Jesus teach that to children? Jesus said in the beginning, God made them male and female. So you're wanting me to tolerate the teaching of something that Jesus would never teach. So, so in other words, if I'm really a Christian, I won't act like Christ. <laughs> and, and Jesus didn't just say tolerate stuff. He said, if you allow one of these little ones that believes in me to stumble, it is better that a millstone be put on your neck and you be thrown in the depths of the sea. So they're saying, if you're really Christian, you'll tolerate them teaching stuff to, the, 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 Jesus wouldn't teach these old children. And Jesus is looking at us and saying, if you, if you do allow that stuff to be taught and you allow these kids to stumble, it's a millstone around your neck. And we yeah. in America, we the people are the king and we're gonna allow this. We're asking for judgment. I'm watching that some of the bravest spokespeople for returning America to an understanding of, of laws that will govern us, the laws of nature, nature's God, uh, are those that have faced the greatest amount of persecution. And when they come in to the conservative realm, the, as I said earlier, they get ostracized from both sides, but they're brave individuals. One in particular is a man, he's, he's had some health issues as of late. I think a Thomas Sowell is one of them in particular. But, but this, this fella, his name is Vody Bachman. And uh, he, he just came back from Africa. He runs a, a university, a college there. He just came back for emergency uh, operation, a leaky valve or something for his heart. I, I don't know all the details. But I have listened to this man and gleaned from him and his insights. I, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he is no. being interviewed. Well, you, you, you need to get to know this guy, Bill. He's being interviewed by uh, Ali Bestucki, and I want to show you this clip because he's dealing with critical race theory. And, and this is a man that th there's almost socially no benefit to him from a worldly standpoint to remain standing upon what he's standing upon because he's ostracized by both communities. However, he knows it's the right thing, and he's standing upon the cross of Christ. I love this man. Never met him in person, but there isn't anything I wouldn't do for him. I was trying to get a plane flight for him. I was calling all over to try to get an emergency flight for him back here to the States. Everybody was working on his behalf. But here's a clip. Take a look at it. Tell me what you think. Uh, according to critical theory, um, you know, there, there, are, there are a lot of forms. Racism takes a lot of forms. It is inherently structural. And it takes a lot of forms. And one of the forms, you know, Robin D'Angelo is famous for this. She calls it aversive racism. Right. And she gives a, a list of things that qualify as aversive racism. And one of the things that qualifies is attributing disparities between majority and minority or between oppressors and oppressed. If you mm -hmm. attribute those disparities to anything other than racism, that is aversive racism. Right. And so one of the things that people you know, are harping on is, you know, people who are talking about, um, you know, fatherlessness and, um, you know, abortion and, you know, these sorts of things and, and, and educational issues and stuff within uh, minority communities, the immediate accusation is you're victim blaming mm. and you're perpetuating white privilege and white supremacy 
It's like what you were talking about, uh, where the, the, the children blame each other. It's a blame game. And, and he, he touched on that so well. I, I thought it was a great interview. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. It would be like starting off a debate and you say, before we get started in this debate, just a ground rule, if you disagree with me at all, you're a hateful, intolerant, bigot, chauvinist. Okay, let's start the, the debate. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> it's like, um, now, I, I want to quote from Manning Johnson again. And yeah. uh, I quote from him in my book on socialism. And anyone can do a Google search. His entire book is free online. But um, he said this, stirring up race and class conflict is the basis of all Communist Party work. The evil genius Stalin and the others megalomaniacal leaders in Moscow ordered the use of all racial, economic, and social differences, no matter how small or insignificant, to start local fires of discontent, conflict, and revolt. Black rebellion was what Moscow wanted. Bloody sack racial conflict would split America during the confusion uh, demoralization panic would set in. Uh, then finally, the Reds uh, would take over. This was 1958. He was saying this stuff. And uh, we saw that there was a, a guy in Chicago that was a, accused of being a communist. And he went to Hawaii and got involved with the Communist Party. And um, uh, his name was um, uh, Frank Marshall Davis. And uh, anyway, he became friends with uh, the Dunham family. And uh, you know the Dunham family because their daughter um, was the mother of Barack Obama. Um, but there's a, a, but he was one of these people that was uh, called a communist because of him wanting to take advantage and stir up uh, the racial differences. But you, you actually read Martin Luther King Jr.'s speeches. And he condemned the stirring up of racism. He said, I stand between two groups in the black community. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing. He said, one is those that have uh, been complacent and they've given up. And he says, the other one verges on violence and it's led by Elijah Muhammad and his black Muslim movement. And Martin Luther King Jr. said, he said, I stand between those two because there's a more excellent way of love and forgiveness and the gospel and so forth. And um, so we have to realize that the evil is sin. It's the sin nature. It's a software problem. People need to get born again. Um, you know, I'm, uh, I use the illustration of the computer. We're, as a human being, you are a spirit mind and a body. Uh, your mind is like a super fancy computer. It's more than that, but it's at least that. And your body's like the computer case. And it makes it silly to argue over what color the computer case is. You know, reds are better than greens. It doesn't matter what color. What matters is what software is running on it. And so the battle is who gets to run, load the software in the next generation's brains. If you think of it, uh, the original software on humankind um, was good, but then... Um, it's almost like God said, oh, yeah, uh, one last thing. Don't open an email from someone you don't know and download the attachment. And uh -oh. Adam gets this, Eve gets this email that says, you just want a million dollars, click here and download. And so she does it. And what happens when you get a, a virus that wants to send itself to another computer? And so uh, Adam gets the virus and he knows he's disobeying God. He downloads it. It's the virus of selfishness. And it goes into all creation. Animals start killing each other. Cain kills Abel and... 
and then God sends a, a fix. It's called the law. It's a manual patch. And then he says, someday he's going to send version 2.0. Uh, it's going to be an upgrade and he's going to burn it on your hard drive. Uh, it's, it's the being born again. And so, uh, and oftentimes if you download a new program on your computer, it doesn't work until you reboot. In other words, it's one thing hearing the gospel, but it's not until you die and you're reborn, right? You're born again. Yeah. Does the, it actually change the operating system. And, uh, and so he, here we are um, talking about God seeing that sin is a virus. It's a, a malware. It's spyware. It's corrupted files, and it's got into human nature. There's two threads I trace through the through the history because I read lots, read and write lots of history. I call them greed and the gospel. So you always have people motivated by greed, and they are the right. ones that sell people into slavery. They're the ones that um, take land from Indians. Uh, they're the ones like the British East India Company that grew opium in India and shipped it into China. And when the Chinese didn't want it. They sent over the British Navy. It was called the Opium Wars, and China calls it the century of humiliation because they were forced to have these opium dens. And, and then you had the, right, the King of England was a part owner in the Royal African Company where, that sold slaves. And, and so you have people motivated by greed doing wicked things. But then you have people motivated by the gospel. And what do yeah. they do? They go into African villages and start medical clinics and they dig wells in villages and collect shoes and they start orphanages and, and they do all these good things. And, and so it is not a hardware problem. It is a software problem. It's not a skin color problem. It's a behavioral problem. And once people get born again, then they start loving people. You can't legislate, you can't bring about a heart change of love through a critical race theory lecture. That doesn't get you to love people. What you need to do is have a lecture that says we're all sinners, we're selfish, and we need to be born again and give up our sinful nature and let Christ love and live through us. That's the answer. The, the answer is not critical race people coming to Christian schools and telling the stuff. It's evangelists coming to school and saying, get born again. Uh, right. uh, the the right behavior will follow once people are born again. I, you know, I'm 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 completely open to anywhere where I've offended somebody or I've hurt them either knowingly or unknowingly, and they want to come to me and they want to express that and and it, it was either my actions or my intentions that offended them, and I, I'm I'm open to first of all acknowledgement confession, uh, reconciliation, forgiveness, uh, and, and, and restoration. If I've taken something from you I'm, and, and, and I owe you something, let me know. But to carry it on for generations because of an immutable trait and to put that yoke on children and to say that's the gospel is demonic. I, I think if we sit down and we say, look, your intentions aren't to hurt me, but your actions do, and here's why. Now I can be mindful of that. That's okay. I, I, I'm not responsible for your happiness. That's your job. However, if it's possible to live at peace with all men, do so. There, there's things where you can yield and work through that. If, 
If you see it, call it out, you know, call it wrong, call them to repentance. But to carpet bomb and 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 cover entire swaths of of humanity and label them as systemically racist because of their immutable trait, that is not the gospel. It has, it has you know, no no bearing in it. One of the things I've been reading up on recently, uh, and there's a, a host named Brandon House that's done a lot of research on this yeah. as well, and it's brainwashing. So after the Korean War, uh, they had the prisoners of war come back, and they found out that they thought communism was great, and they found out that you know, on the in the prisons, they would put them in a room with a circle of chairs, and they would try to get them to, they would shame them into confessing that America is an evil, racist, supremacist uh, country. And they would do it over and over and over again every day and just bombard them with this shaming until finally they would cave. And then they would admit to it and then they would, uh, you know, confess that that they were bad, uh, racist and so forth. Uh, But then they would institute communism and they would brainwash. And so, so these tactics have been studied over and over again and um, put in place on a grand national scale through media, through the educational system. And it's this idea of how do you brainwash an entire country? Uh, Edward Hunter was the guy that wrote the book in the 1950s called Brainwashed. And he said the term comes from the Buddhists and how they would cleanse their mind and so forth. And he, this, this was applied toward this uh, basically uh, a drive neutral reverse, getting them to feel shameful about their past so that they reject it. And then they are in a neutral state where they have their no bearings, don't know where they and then they can be easily uh, persuaded and brainwashed. Uh, and the tactic they use is honor, shame, culture. It's being accepted or being rejected by a group. And there's a strong, very, very strong human desire to be accepted by a group. And there's a great fear in human nature to be rejected by a group. And so if you can manipulate this uh, to shaming people who don't adopt your agenda and canceling them and censoring them and ostracizing them like the ancient Greeks did, that they would vote you out of town for 10 years, destroy your, your career and so forth, and ostracize you from the group. Uh, or uh, you would be honored by the group and praised by the group and they would write poems and, and so forth about you. And uh, So it's a group dynamic that's being used it's manipulated. All the voices are now controlled with you know, the Facebook, Twitter, and all this other stuff, censoring people that, that don't uh, help to maintain this group consensus. Uh, it's a fascinating study. Um, you know, you go back in, in history, how it's developed. Um, in a nutshell, you have Wells Fargo Wagon and Sears Catalog, and they would sell products by listing the attributes of the product. But then in the early 1900s, some of the marketers realized, hey, you can sell a product without listing the attributes. And the main ex- the ideal example is Crisco oil. What is Crisco oil made out of? Nobody knew. They put vegetable based on the, on the label. Well, it's cottonseed oil. 
and nobody ate cottonseed oil. It was used in machinery and in factories. And But they would have an advertising campaign of showing wives happy using it in the kitchen and happily serving their meals to their families around a happy table and made it look like everybody was using this. And so it put out of business the lard industry, right, where they would take the animal fat. And, but everybody used lard, but it's, boom, gone. And here, this product becomes nationally used and nobody knows what's in it. And so this idea of making people feel like it's accepted and, and they, they'll buy it, this was taken up another notch in 1938 with a radio drama, Orson Welles, War of the Worlds, Right. And he, he says, New Jersey's, we interrupt this program to announce that New Jersey's being invaded by Martians. And, and everyone in the country panics with fear, goes outside and looks for Martians. And so now they say, hey, you can get the entire nation to respond through fear. And this comes together then in Germany. And so you got the fear of war and you got their minister of propaganda, uh, Joseph Goebbels, and he orchestrates these Coliseum events with 100,000 people. And they would begin giving the Hitler salute at the front. It would work its way to the back. And everybody would see everybody else giving the Hitler salute. They would feel pressured to give it to fit in with the group. Sort of like Muslims, that, that the men pray together in public. And it would take a whole lot of backbone to not bow, you know. But so they've, they've manipulated this group dynamic to pressure people into embracing Nazism and brainwashing a whole country through this fear and this acceptance. I may have shared this before, so stop me if I have. Um, but then after the war, this was studied. It's called the Solomon Ash Conformity Experiment done on college campuses where they would pull eight students into a room. Seven were paid ahead of time to be actors. One was a naive participant. And uh, the teacher put two cards on the front desk. One card had one line, the other three lines, and one longer, one shorter, one the same size. And starting with the paid actors, one by one, they would convincingly say that the shorter line was equal to the first line. And by the time it got around to the eighth naive participant, 30% of them would deny their own eyes and go along with the group. This pressure to fit in with the group. Now, if only one other person disagreed, it went from 30% down to 5%. Yeah. But, um, and so that's an encouragement to us to stand up. They did another with wine tasting. So everybody was in on it and they poured vinegar in the wine. And uh, one naive couple, uh, tasted it and said, this is terrible, wrote on their little card, you know. Well, one by one, the other couples would stand up and say, well, this wine was robust and it was good. It was great. And uh, this couple scratched out what they wrote and they stood up when it was their turn and said, oh, yeah, it was really good. And they, they felt pressured to deny what they believed in order to fit in with the group. And then somebody simply said, well, you know, all they did was pour vinegar in the wine. The couple that changed their views criticized the person for saying that and this is a phenomenon called false enforcement. Once people have bought into the lie, they will be part of the pressure to make everybody else conform to the lie. Yeah. We, we've experienced that here. We've, we've experienced that here at Godspeak. It's an interesting phenomenon. Yeah. And so now it's gone online and they control all the media voices very carefully through the Internet, through, through education and through uh, the Hollywood uh, movies. Uh, they've, they've created this. They use the term gaslighting from an old Ingrid Bergman, Gary, right. uh, Gary Cooper movie where, you know, we've, the, we've covered, uh, we've, we've, co we've covered it. We're, we're familiar with the term. Very familiar. So, so it's, it's creating this peer pressure uh, to pressure people. And Jesus calls us out of the peer pressure. He says, you have to love me more 
than being accepted by your mother, sister, brother, or any group. Uh, right. The word Ecclesia, you're called out. So you lose the fear of man. All you have is the fear of God. So if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, that's the only way. I mean, maybe there's another way, that, but I don't know of it. But to, to have the backbone to not cave to this tremendous pressure of being accepted by the group. Uh, Saul Linsky said ridicule is the most powerful weapon. You ridicule people so they'll cave. The, the Greeks did it in their theater. They would have comedies where they would make fun of politicians by name. You read Aristophanes, and everybody would leave the theater saying, oh, man, I don't want to be like that poor politician that was ribbed to death in front of 6,000 people in the audience, you know. So, this, so um, this, Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, so the country is controlled by laws. Laws are controlled by politicians. Politicians are controlled by voters. Voters are controlled by public opinion, and public opinion is controlled by education, media, and the Internet. So whoever controls education, media, and the Internet forms public opinion and the public opinion is what causes people to vote the way they do and they vote in politicians the politicians make the laws so the scripture says that we are the stewards of our children's lives we give an accounting of their life to the lord so education is primarily the responsibility of the parent so parents i would encourage you that don't allow your children to be indoctrinated but educated and and you hold that responsibility and and hold those that you entrust accountable and, and push and find out what, what's being taught and, and sit in those school board meetings. And then in regards to social media, start your own if the censorship starts. Start to figure out other ways to communicate within your groups that, that seek truth. And then I would say with the news sources, the same thing is true. That the reason why our founders, when they established the sovereign in the nation, we the people, and they gave us the First Amendment, and you said this, Bill, they're the counselors to the king. Every king needs a counselor, every president needs a cabinet, and our founders gave us the First Amendment so that the press could, could search the truth, the pulpits could declare it, and, and, and the people could assemble when it was violated. And, and then the speech was that we, we, could, we could discern it, and we could we could legislate and deliberate to come to that understanding. Come let us reason together. But if, if, if the press is bought and the pulpits are silent, the sovereign has no counselor. And, and it's perfect out of Lord of the Rings when you talked about the king. Do you remember the story? Yeah, the King Theodon, and he has a spell cast on him. And he's decrepit yeah, and he's it. got cataracts and he's all scrunched up in his throne. And he has two counselors. One is this greasy guy named Worm Tongue who's whispering in the king's ear to stay asleep. Don't get involved. Don't wake up. And, and then another counselor to the king is Gandalf. And he comes in and casts the devil out of the king. And right before your eyes, the king starts to come too. Uh, he looks around the room. He says, dark have been my dreams of late. And his hair goes from gray to brown and his beard gets shorter. They do great special effects. And, um, and, and he says, maybe you'll remember your strength if you take your sword. And so here in America, the people are the king. Uh, the yep. majority of the people still go to church or, or identify as Christians. And the pastors are consulars to the king. And you have two sets of consulars. One tells the king that go to sleep, shirk your responsibility, don't vote, don't get involved, just be lazy, just focus on your own personal relationship with God and forget what your kids are going to inherit. 
sort of like Hezekiah when they came to him and they said, oh, you showed all the treasures to Babylon. Your kids are going to be eunuchs in the, in the court of the king of Babylon. And instead of Hezekiah falling on his face and said, God, I sinned and, and pride for showing it and I repent and save my grandkids. Instead, he said, oh, as long as it doesn't happen during my life, I'm fine. It's like yeah. you feel like I got 15 years of goods. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you feel like reaching through the pages of the Bible and slapping Hezekiah, you know, and uh, but um, so so here you have one set of counselors to the king that are that are counseling the king. It's like going to David and saying, yeah, there's sin there, but don't worry about it. Just just ignore what's going on. And but then there's another set of counselors to the king like Gandalf that there's throwing ice water on their congregation and says, wake up. You don't just have yeah. the right to vote in America. You're going to be held accountable to God for what happens. Yeah. Uh, it's You're a responsible. great, yeah, it's a great privilege. It's a great responsibility. So if things turn South, God's fingers on, if, if they're aborting babies, you're responsible. If they're teaching stuff to little children that Jesus wouldn't teach, Jesus is going to hold you responsible. So it's unique in America. Our founders, the word citizen is Greek. It means co-king. Yep. And so you, and so we we need to get involved. But um, Bill, I, anyway. I want to. We're, we're limited on time, and I, what I want to do, I, I want to segue, because you you are you're one of the most prolific writers I have ever met. Every time I'm with you, you're either studying or writing, and yet you still have time to to spend with every person that you come into contact with. You're one of the most personable human beings. But you never, it seems to me, you never let a moment go by that's idle. You're always active, and I'm grateful for that. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I so appreciate your friendship is because I know that there's a source, and you inspire me to read more and also to write. But you, you just finished another book. How do you do that? Seriously, you do yeah, it. It's called, it's called Miraculous Milestones in Science, Medicine, and Innovation, and it's the stories of Sir Isaac Newton. You know, he yeah. wrote more on the book of Daniel than he did on the on science. Uh, Copernicus, who studied the, came up with the heliocentric, sun-centered solar system. And uh, he talked about uh, the Lord God and uh, Tycho Brahe and Kepler. He said, oh God, I'm thinking thy thoughts after thee. He's the one that uh, discovered the laws of planetary motion. And, and then the, I go through the hospitals, how they were started by Christians, uh, Jesus says, I was sick and you visited me. And then in the third century, Constantine said every cathedral should have an infirmary where people are taking pilgrimage to. So people would travel and they'd show up sick. So the word hosp is Latin for traveler, like hospitality. But hospital is where the people traveling on pilgrimage would arrive worn out. and They'd get doctored, so convalesced, sort of speak. And so you had the just plague of Justinian in the fifth, fifth sixth century and millions died. It was the Christians that responded uh, to take care of the sick. And then you had the bubonic plague and millions died. It was Christians responded. So instead of Christians saying, oh, I don't want to get the disease, they're like running to helping the people. And if they die in the process, well, they were showing the love of Jesus. They didn't really care. Um, and, and so you had these whole orders of nuns that started the Hotel du in Paris in the seventh century. Then they started hundreds of hospitals all across Europe. And then you had the the, you know, different hospitals started in America, you know, the Presbyterians, Lutherans and, you know, Jewish and so forth. And, but it was the Sisters of St. Joseph that started the first hospital west of the Mississippi. Right. Uh, and so they had on the Civil War battlefield, you had whole orders of nuns. We all know Clara Barton, a school teacher, but there were whole orders of nuns that followed the army around, took care of the sick. And um, 
one of Lincoln's officers said, no one is as good as taking care of the sick as, as trained as a Catholic nun. And so they started the hospitals in America. I, I go through the history of the calendar. I go through the you know Panama Canal, Statue of Liberty. I, I got some a chapter on Einstein and Vernon von Braun. Uh, and, and also famous black leaders that a lot of people aren't familiar with who became millionaires uh, prior to the Civil War and even after the Civil War. One was Paul Cuffe. He was a a free black, and he started a shipyard and hired black people, and he actually traded across the Atlantic Ocean and be, became tremendously successful. He was the first African-American to meet a president, James Madison, uh, Paul Cuffe. And so I tell all these different stories in there. There's Clara Brown. Uh, she was a slave that worked hard and saved and uh, got free, and then she um, went to college. She's the first black person in the state of Colorado. And Clara Brown worked as a midwife and a nurse and a cook. And she started a Methodist prayer meeting in her home that turned into a church. And then she ended up giving money to other churches. And she owned seven lots in Denver, like five houses in Central City, Colorado. And she had part ownership in mines and everything. And she was inducted in 1885 into the Colorado uh, Pioneer uh, History Society. And, but, but she's a, a black woman. These are stories of people that have overcome great odds. They didn't sit around waiting for the government to do anything. They just worked hard and they were Christian. There's lots and lots of stories like that. Uh, it's it's a book called Miraculous Milestones in Science, Medicine, and Innovation um, that, uh, that I could do a whole program just on some of the stories uh, and it, I think it would be well worth the time. But um, AmericanMinute.com is my website. Okay, so here's what we're going to do, Bill. AmericanMinute.com is your website. That's where they can find the book? Yes. How much is the book? $20. All right. Um, for the first 100 people that uh, send you an email saying how much they appreciate what you spoke on, uh, we're going we're gonna to cover the cost of 100 books. And, and you, you and your wife go ahead and send them out up to 100 and we'll cover them, um, and they got to send you an email or a handwritten note or a card saying they loved what you had to share, or they don't have to say they loved it, but they heard you on the program, and they want a copy of that book, and then you send it out, and we'll cover the cost of 100 of those. Deal? Yeah, yeah, and my email address is on the website, AmericanMinute.com, but uh, if you want to write it down, it's WJ Federer at gmail.com. That's F-E-D-E-R-E-R. -E -E Correct. Is that right? Federer. Yeah. 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 You so got a lot William of R's in there. WJ. WJ. Yeah. William J. Federer. W -J. Like a tennis player. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I would ask that if, if, I, if, if we get 100 copies, would you at least send me one? I'm going to be the first to request one. So would you guys put it in the mail? You already got my address. I want to read that thing. All right. All right, and then um, we'll we'll, uh, we'll send you a check, and you take care of the first hundred viewers that, that get this tonight, and uh, and you send them out, and then we'll cover it. And if there's more, just let me know. We'll, we'll keep going. I love what you do, Bill, and we want to support your ministry. You know how we feel about you. You are the best kept secret in America, and I don't want you to be a secret anymore. Well, God bless you. What, would you would you close us tonight with prayer and also uh, the blessing out of number six? You, you know how we do it here, and I would be honored if you'd pray for us, and then I'll I'll put on the screen number six, and you give the blessing to everybody. Sure. Okay.
Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you that out of the history of the world, you chose for us to be alive right now. And you have given us examples in the Bible that you love to wait until things look hopeless and then you raise up little nobodies with faith and courage. And whether it's a Gideon or a Joshua or the Apostle Paul or Deborah, uh, this is just our turn. And it looks like there's a crisis, but this is the time for you to move. And you love moving through people who are humble. Uh, Lord, help us as a country to see through uh, the lies that are being presented as a false gospel, all the critical race theory and the white shaming and all the supremacists and how that's uh, a tactic of sowing division the same way Satan sowed division in heaven. Uh, the sin is the problem and the gospel is the answer. Uh, and Lord, we confess our sins. Lord, I confess that I've sinned and I thank you for the blood of Jesus to cleanse me and cleanse all of us of our sins. Amen. And we trust in you, O Lord, for your Holy Spirit to do a great work in America and in the world in, starting right now and in the days ahead. Jesus' yes, name. Lord. Amen. Well, here's the blessing up on the screen. You go ahead and read it to everybody if you would. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you as the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Well done, Bill. You nailed it. Um, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share. When those folks get a free book, um, I want them to look through all the other books you have as they go to your website. We're going to post it on the program so folks can see it. And you are, you are a storehouse of wisdom, and I'm grateful that God brought you into my life. And I want other folks to tap into this resource that I've I discovered a few years ago and has has been one I've been so thankful for day in and day out. I, every time I'm up against some sort of a historical question, I refer to one of your writings. And I, I always find not just the aspect of history that speaks to the issue I'm dealing with currently, but you also footnote it so I can go to the original source. And I'm so grateful for that. So, Bill, thank you for all your scholarship, all your work. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and will you be able to be with us next Friday as well? Um, it, it might be tough. I'm going to be at a, a meeting in Orlando, um, but wait, maybe wait, we can sch- to, schedule. Are you do? Are you going to CNP? Yes. Uh, I'll be there with you, and we'll record there in Florida. All right. All right. That sounds good. Deal. All right. All right. Well, Bill, thank you for joining us, and we'll post up there so you can see it, and just send up to 100 books. And if there's folks that come in after, and there's a few more, we'll cover those too. And tell your wife, thank you. She always sends a thank you note. She's so sweet. You guys are a blessing. Keep up the good work. Bless you, brother. You are. Blessings to you and Michelle. Thank you. Good night, sir. Well, there you have it. Uh, Bill Federer, uh, prolific author, wonderful friend, great brother in Christ, and uh, such insights this evening. So thankful for the way in which he brought clarity to a, a host of topics And so I hope you're all strengthened and encouraged. If you want that book, you probably aren't listening to me. You're probably right now emailing him because you saw something free. So uh, go ahead and and send for that book. We're going to support Bill Federer, and you can do the same as well. And you you don't have to just get one free book. You can also buy one and give it to a friend. Uh, We don't have to be the only ones being generous. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. We will see you Monday bright and early. I'm going to take a break. Uh, I'm going to take Saturday and Sunday off, although we will broadcast 
on Sunday with our Sunday service, and we'd love to have you all tune in. God bless you all. Thanks for your support of the ministry at Vintage McCoy. We'll see you Monday. God bless.